0: This podcast is supported by the Rebecca Vassy Trust, a UK-based charity which promotes the art of narrative photography through granting bursary awards to up-and-coming photographers and funding public education projects like this one. This podcast has full editorial independence, and the views expressed in this series are not necessarily those of the Trust. Welcome to season two of the Photoethics Podcast, I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today in episode number eight, we'll be talking with Polly Urungu about working intentionally Multimedia journalist, digital editor, and self-taught photographer Polly Irungu is the founder of Black Women Photographers, a global community and online database of Black women and non-binary photographers. Born in Nairobi, Kenya, Polly has lived around the world, from Nairobi to Topeka, Kansas, to Eugene, Oregon, to Washington, DC, to Little Rock, Arkansas, and ultimately to Brooklyn, New York. In 2017, Polly completed a degree in journalism from the University of Oregon. Polly's work as a photographer has been published in NPR, BBC News, The Washington Post, and Buzzfeed, among many others. Polly has spoken widely about black women photographers building communities, photography, social media, branding, podcasting, media diversity, African media, and journalism. Polly is also a digital content editor at New York Public Radio, WYNC. Can we start by you just telling us a little bit about the kind of work that
1: you do? Yeah, um, where to start? (laughs) I feel like I'm all over the place sometimes. So I'm a multimedia journalist. So by day I work at New York Public Radio where I do all things digital and editorial and social for one of the programs that's heard on NPR called The Takeaway. I've been working there since June of 2018. And so that is my full-time job. And then outside of that, I'm a freelance writer and photographer. When it comes to my writing, I do a lot of just like profile and interview style pieces, human interest pieces. Recently started doing more first-person essays as well. And then when it comes to my photography, I started with, like, most self-taught photographers, anything and everything, until I figured out what I love to do. And so I love photographing concerts, pre-pandemic, of course, and portraits, fashion, want to get into more documentary-style work, and also want to go back to some video. I used to do video when I was interning at the athletic department at my university where I was doing like sport recaps and things like that. And so I want to start incorporating more video into my work soon.
0: That's brilliant, okay. And how did you sort of first get into, I don't know, photography or the media in general? Sort of what led you down that path?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, it kind of found me in a sense. So a little bit more background in myself. So I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. So I was born in Kenya. And up until, I want to say, we were were about four years old when we immigrated to the States. My dad was the first one who left, and then we followed, we as in my sister and my mother. And so he was in Kansas, and that's where we just landed. I don't know why, but that's where we landed. But that's where we had a host family. So I grew up in Kansas, Topeka and Lawrence. And during that time, you know, typical, you know, childhood was great. Raised in a typical, traditional you know, African upbringing, Kenyan to be exact. And then after my freshman year of high school, that's when my dad told me, OK, we're moving to Oregon. And I was like, what? <laughs> Oregon, for those who don't know, is a predominantly white state. It's like on the other side of the coast. And I did not know much about it other than it rained a lot. And I was really not looking forward to that move because all I knew at that time was Kansas. It took me a while to find my footing. You know, when I first moved to the States, I didn't have any language, actually. I was in ESL classes. I had a tutor, a speech tutor, all of that, because I just, you know, I was mixing my tribal language. And then I was mixing English. Only people could understand me was my mom and my sister for a few years. And then, you know, just when I felt like I was like on top of the world, I was just, you know, I was a freshman. had a wonderful freshman year. I was playing sports. I was very active in the community. You know, I was told we were moving. And so that, you know, put me in a deep depression, actually, when we moved to Oregon. I, you know, stopped doing anything that I was, you know, involved in, obviously, because I'm in this new state. I didn't even try out for the basketball team when I was there. I was just very stuck and sad. And, you know, here I am in a whole new state. Here I am, realizing the first time, like, oh, my God, like, you know, some of my classes, I was only a Black person. I was not used to that. And so just trying to find, you know, a sense of belonging or community or whatever was really hard at first when I was there. And then after my sophomore year in Portland, that was my first year in Oregon. My mom found a job at the University of Oregon, which is in a different city, was in Eugene, Oregon. So then I moved to join her up there. And so now this is my you know, third high school. I'm still in Oregon at this point at least, but again, trying to find my footing and you know, still feeling stuck. So one of my high school counselors at the time suggested, you know, Polly, they recognized that I was, you know, not doing so well. And they recognized and said, Polly, why don't you try, you know, try to get involved in some way, somehow we have your book, we have all these different activities, just trying to find where you can fit in, where you can get in kind of thing. And so I joined Yearbook, and I was like, okay, you know, why not? And I actually really enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed picking up a camera and talking to people. I enjoyed... Hearing what they had to say, I enjoyed, you know, again, the act of taking photos, making photos. Um, and that really, you know, sparked an interest in me that I didn't even know about. And one of them suggested, you know, why don't you look into photojournalism? Look what you know journalism has to bring. Again, I had no idea anything about photography or journalism at that point, because, you know, growing up in a very traditional African upbringing, like, you know, most immigrants or most Black folks or people of color can assume, like, you're not supposed to pursue one of these kind of careers, right? I was expected to pursue something more traditional, like, lawyer, doctor, engineer. Like, you, you hear that running joke, and that running joke has truth to it because literally, like, even when I think in my own family, you know, my family is made up of people in academia and medical field, like, there's nothing else. And so then when I started, you know, pursuing this at the time, I was just working a typical Haskell job. I was working at McDonald's as a cashier, and I just decided, you know what? <laughs> I will just buy a camera and a laptop. I didn't think anything else of it. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I enjoy this. I'm going to see where this takes me. And so I really enjoyed, again, just the act of, you know, exploring the city, finding people to photograph. I was making friends that way. That was like the first time I was actually kind of like getting to know people in the state. And so, you know, with that said, I decided, okay, I'm going to pursue journalism when I go to college because that's something that makes sense to me. That's something that I feel like I was good at at that time. And so there was a few different things that I was doing. So I was again, I was doing a lot of like graduation style photos and and soon I started charging people and I was photographing a lot of concerts and sporting events. And then, you know, when I decided to stay in state and go to University of Oregon, because one, it made sense, you know, financially, but also I received a scholarship, I decided to major in journalism because, again, that was the only thing that made sense at the time. You know, CNN had this thing called CNN Eye Reports where you can be like a citizen journalist in a sense. And so, I would photograph things that were happening around the city. There was like Occupy Eugene, and then soon there was protests, you know, relating to Black Lives Matter. And so, I was just out there documenting that stuff. Didn't realize I was actually practicing journalism at the time, but you know, that's just what I enjoyed doing. And so, again, I think it really found me because at the time, you know, photography was that creative tool, that creative outlet for me when I was in a really bad place. And it helped me find my voice again. It helped me make friends. It helped me, you know, figure out what I'm good at, I guess. And so I really just enjoyed all of that and, you know, what it taught me about myself. So, yeah. I heard a talk
0: that you did not that long ago. I can't remember what talk it was, but... I noticed that a lot of the questions that you were asking to the panelists had a lot of things to do with, you were talking a lot about ethics in that panel. And I guess Mm -hmm. I was wondering, in your process of sort of self-development as a photojournalist, how did you sort of start to develop an awareness of ethics and a passion for how you approach ethics in your own work? What were maybe the things that helped you cultivate that practice?
1: That's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind is like, I saw everything that I didn't like. (laughs) I saw all the different mistakes. I saw all the things that I was like, wait, wait a second. But all the things that made me feel, you know, like ashamed to be a part of this industry in a sense, those are the things that, you know, informed me and what I realized, like, I never want to be that person. I never want to do this. I never want to, you know, make that mistake. All of those things, in a sense, is what informed me. Because, you know, when you're a self-taught photographer, you know, you're not taking a class called Ethics 101, right? You're not learning about the things that typically or whatever is considered standard that's ethically wrong. You're not learning that as a self-taught photographer. And then depending on what journalism school you go to, you may not even learn that either. You know, you'll learn about, like, ethics within journalism but how does that translate into the world of photography you know and so that really is something you have to figure out and learn as you go and then also you know be a student in a sense always be a student and learning from you know others who made those mistakes or others who did not and seeing how they navigate and how they you know approach ethics in their own work and then figure out what your own ethical Bible, whatever, like whatever you want to call it, figure out what your own ethics are, like what are your boundaries, what line will you not cross, you really have to figure out that for yourself, because, you know, when I think about it, for example, I was an intern at NPR in Washington, D.C., well, right when I was about to graduate from college, and, you know, at NPR, they have an ethics editor, so they have someone in the newsroom to tell them, you know, this is how we do this, this is how we not do this, if anyone has a question relating to anything ethical, they can go to that person and ask him, you know, all the questions. Now, who do you have when it comes to the world of photography? Who is that, you know? Do we have, like, a public editor in photography? I think we all are our own editors in the sense that we're all always critiquing and criticizing when something goes wrong or calling people and things out. And, you know, I think that's fine and fair, and, you know, I try to be on top of those different conversations that take place within the world of photo, because again, I don't necessarily have anyone to turn to. I just, you know, know like again what I want to do and how I want to do it. And also, again, like all the different things that made me uncomfortable, all the different things that made me, you know, feel like why am I in this industry? Why am I in media? Why am I in journalism? Like all those different things, you know, I never want anyone to see what I do and be like, oh my God, like, why is this person here? Like, oh my God, this person is doing, you know, this messing up the industry in whatever way. Like, I want to, you know, leave this industry better than I found it. And so I'm always, you know, trying to be cautious of that. Even when I jump into different conversations, even before, you know, I launched Black Women Photographers, I was always thinking about like, you know, does it make sense for me? Like, why me? What am I adding to this conversation? You know, am I the best person to even speak on anything or really to whatever it may be? Am I even the best person to watch the community for black photographers? You know, I was having all those questions and really just thinking about it and asking myself those questions. And I think all of us, you know, have more of those internal like. I don't know, self-aware conversations with ourselves and really just be mindful of what we are contributing, you know, to any space we're in, so.
0: I think that what you're sort of describing about how you can make a difference and shape the industry in a way that is meaningful, I I love what you said there, that leaves it better than you entered it, you know? I think that that's a really great aspiration, that it'd be great if everybody sort of approached things from that perspective, you know? Let's talk a little bit more maybe about Black women photographers and maybe about like when you founded that and what your impetus was behind that.
1: Yeah, so I feel like it goes back to when I was in Oregon when I first, you know, picked up a camera and when I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. So I went to the University of Oregon, which, you know, it's a predominantly white university. At the time when I was, I think it was like, a little over twenty four thousand students, so it's not small and it's not the largest, but it's like a good fair size. And out of those like over twenty four thousand students, I think there was about a little over three hundred of us that you know identified as Black. And within you know those three hundred of us out of twenty four thousand, and then you think about how many of those folks were in the program for journalism. There was not that many of us. And so I didn't know any Black photographers on campus when I was there. That's not to say that there wasn't. Maybe there was and we just never crossed paths. But I didn't know any other Black photographers. I became like one of the go-to photographers on campus who also happened to be Black and a Black woman at that. And when I started trying to you know navigate. And I figured I wanted to you know, be more serious about this. It was very lonely, not knowing any other Black photographers, no one to really turn to and ask for advice. I you know was longing for a community and I just didn't have one for photography. At the time I learned about NEBJ, which is the National Association of Black Journalists. And so I was able to find a tribe within that organization. Um, within that organization, they also have a visual task force which you know became some of my you know family in a sense, because they are incredible folks who deeply care about this industry and are advocates for change. And so my Visual Task Force family also, you know, helped push me to you know, stay in this field to help see myself as someone who can be in this industry. Because at the time I just didn't know if journalism or photography was for me. You know, I enjoyed it. I was starting to be good at it. But, you know, not seeing that representation, not seeing anyone who was a successful full-time photographer or multimedia journalist, you know, I didn't see anyone at the time to like, who I could turn to and ask for advice or I guess have a mentor in a, in a sense. Now, of course, I have like all these unofficial mentors who I lean on and they have been helpful and instrumental in my career. But, you know, at the time, you know, that's what I was longing for. So when I was there, social media started to become a thing. And so, when I was on Twitter and I just made this Twitter list called Black Women Photographers. Didn't think anything of it. Of course I had no plans to launch a community of it at the time. I just wanted to see that, you know, diversity. I just wanted to meet other black women photographers. And I just wanted to, you know, be inspired. And I, so I just made that list and started adding, you know, folks who identified onto my time onto my Twitter list as they randomly popped up on my timeline and Again, just having that source of inspiration, place to turn to. And so, you know, fast forward three years later, it's not 2020. And I share my Twitter list randomly on Twitter, depending on like different conversations that take place or whatever. I just, you know, randomly tweet it out. And one of the times I tweeted out, I think it was around, I want to say March or something, it was early in 2020 when I tweeted it out again. And this time it garnered more traction, garnered a couple more hundred retweets. And a few folks, you know, reached out and said, you know, you should do something with this. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, okay, let me think about it. Like, what would that mean if I was to do something with this? Obviously, at that time, you know, I was a big fan of, you know, women photograph and very inspired by everything that, you know, they do. And I was like, okay, be similar to this or what would it look like? And I started reaching out to the folks on my Twitter list to get a better sense of, you know, just where they were at and how they're feeling about their careers in this industry. I asked folks a series of questions. Mind you, I don't know these people at all. <laughs> they were just, you know, added to my Twitter list, but, you know, frankly, I'm grateful that they even responded and were so honest with their responses. You know I asked them like, when was the last time you were hired? You know, when was the last time you were paid? Have you ever thought about leaving this industry? If you were to be in a community for black women photographers, what would that look like to you? How would you want to be involved more? And so in this industry, what are the things that you are looking for in a community? And all these different series of questions, again, just to get a better understanding of really what was needed. I didn't want to try to do anything for the sake of doing it. I really want to be intentional with anything that I do. And especially with this, because, you know, I know what it was like for me. But my journey is different than everyone else's, right? We all walk our own separate journeys. And what may be useful to me may not be useful to someone else. And so I really, again, wanted to be intentional you know, with that. And so all those different responses really helped inform like, okay, here's what I should do. Here's how I should go about it. And here are the different resources and things that are you know crucial for us. And here's, like I guess, the best way to go about it. And so... You know, when COVID hit, that's when, you know, COVID was early on. We didn't know it was going to be like this. We, Of course, no one could predict that it would be this bad. And again, since I have a full-time job, photography is not my main source of income yet. Hopefully one day it will be. But you know, since it's not, I was, you know, I'm financially okay. And so I launched it with the COVID-19 Relief Fund because a lot of the photographers, you know, responded, a lot of them were struggling Prior to the pandemic, and so when the pandemic came in, it was just worse. And they were already having a hard time getting hired and getting paid at that. Prior to the pandemic, of course, it'd be worse. And so I launched it with the COVID nineteen relief really fund to try and relieve, you know, some of that pain, some of that stress. You know, trying to support these photographers because again, you know, these are photographers who depend on this for their income, and so. You know, hearing from the photographers that I applied to so many different artist relief funds, COVID funds, all these grants and crickets cannot hear back. I really wanted to make a difference right off the bat. I just wanted to hit the ground running. <laughs> and so I never fundraised ever before. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be too ambitious. So my goal was only 7000 because I knew I wanted to launch the community on July 7th on my birthday. And you know, as a true testament, I guess to you know the power of community, I was able to raise over fourteen thousand in a matter of weeks, all on Twitter. <laughs> that was how I you know crowdsourced for the funds, and it was able to disperse that to photographers here in the states and internationally, and provided people that small you know relief that really made a difference at a time then when they really needed it. And then followed by the database the next month, where I think I started with. Hundred photographers or so. All these people, you know, who were part of the initial launch were all the photographers I, you know, reached out to from my Twitter list. And then since then it's just been growing so organically, again, you know, through social media, through word of mouth, through help of, you know, press and you know, podcasts as well. But it's just been beautiful just to watch this community grow, but also just watch these photographers, these people grow. I'm like watching them, their growth in real time. And it's so crazy to witness. And, you know, they're also watching mine and this community's growth in real time. And it's just such a beautiful thing to be a part of because it's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than us. And we, you know, are starting to realize that.
0: Absolutely. There's so much in that, you know, and I think that there's one thing that you said that I thought was such an important point about how when you founded or brought together this organization or this community of people you wanted to do so intentionally and that was something that I was looking at and I think it was an interview that you did in Portrait Noir and you talked about working Mm. intentionally and I was wondering if you could Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about what does that mean to you as a photographer to work intentionally what does that look like?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great question. You know, and it's funny because, you know, at first I feel like I probably didn't even know what that meant when I, you know, was doing it or said that or whatever. But for me, you know, I think it's just because again, when I think of I think it also applies to since I work in news and on a daily national news program, we're always thinking about how are we adding value to the conversation because when people hear our show for the day they're hearing it after the headlines break you know after the headlines have been circulating for like 24 hours because we always produce things for the next day so we're not here to you know give them the headlines we're here to go beyond that you know we're here to dive deeper into something that's already been discussed for 24 hours so how can we make it fresh how can we make it relevant how can we find a slice that no one's talking about? Or how can we, you know, uplift voices, add voices to the conversation that have been missed or ignored or, you know, just missing from the conversation, you know, what can we get to that no one else is getting to? And so when I think about that, like how, you know, we work as a team on that for work, it's like that really helps to form myself and my work. Like, what am I doing as a photographer, as a journalist, or as a founder of a, you know, community? Like, What am I doing? How am I doing it? Where am I spending my time and energy? And again, all those different questions that I ask myself, that's just me trying to be more intentional about going about it. Even with the community, it's like, okay, what photographers, in a sense, like if I translate that to like photography or or like I said, building this community, what photographers are missing from this community? Is it a specialty that's missing? Is it a skill level that's missing? Is it a background that's missing? You know, who's missing? Even when I see a photographer's, you know, a little quiet, like, how are they doing? Like, what's going on? Like that? You know, what kind of support can I provide? Can this community provide that to help them with whatever they're dealing with? And again, that's just me being intentional about it because like I said, there's already a lot of great communities out there, a lot of great resources. Like Daniella has been incredible to me and BWP from the start. And so for me, it's like, what would I be doing? Again, that's different from the rest. What would I be doing to support and not just add to the noise? Because that's just, it. again, how I think about it with my work, you know? We don't want to add to the noise. How can we cut through the noise when people have a million different news sources to turn to? And in this sense, people have a million different photo resources to turn to. What am I doing that's so different? How can I cut through the noise? What would support look like to us? And all these are just, you know, questions that I think about all the time. And so for me, I guess that's my way of trying to be intentional about it, not just to do it for the sake of doing it, not just to, you know, again, do it because this is something that could be cool or whatever, like, I really just wanted to have a smart approach to it and a smart approach to everything that I do. And also now, especially with this pandemic, any energy that we have, like kudos to us (laughs) for even having any energy to go through a single day because it's exhausting. Like this pandemic has added a whole level of exhaustion that I was not expecting or dealing with prior. And so anywhere I place my energy to, like, I really have to be careful and like mindful of that. i like, listen, like, because it's like, I know how exhausted I get now these days. And so again, be mindful of my time and energy. is like, where am I placing it? You know, how much am I giving to this and that and that? And, and knowing how, you know, by Friday, like I don't want to hear from anyone, like my photos I do not disturb. Like, <laughs> and so just being mindful of that. Okay. Like if I know I'm productive for only like maybe three or four days of the week and now, Okay, good. I'm gonna be intentional with my time and what I do with those, you know, three or four days that I know I'm actually productive. So, you know, that is really just like what it means to me in a sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like that so <laughs> resonates. And I wish I could, I don't know, I, I draw on that sort of intentionality because I struggle with that myself. Yeah, I think. That's a tough thing to (laughs) regulate, you know, how you spend your energy and things. I think it's so important. I was wondering, you sort of touched on this a little bit, but I was wondering if you could dig into it a little bit more about maybe the things that you have learned through working in the media industry that has informed your photography practice and things that maybe other people can learn from particularly when thinking about ethics of how we
1: work? Mm. Yeah, let me think about this. This is a good question. So as a student from a journalist, it's like, it's the different things that we know. It's like the basics. It's like the basics is like one-on-one, like the things that you do not do. Like you do not plagiarize. You make sure you credit your sources. Like those are the things, like the basics that you know right off the bat that, you know, it's just one-on-one. And then, you know, working it in a sense and now in radio, it's like, again, you kind of apply those same like fundamental like basics within journalism to radio, like nothing gets lost in translation in that way. But then again, it's like, you have to also be more mindful of. So us, uh, since we have a, a big platform. I mean, over 2 million people listen to it, the show and the podcast. And so it's like, you know, with that platform and, you know, people, this may be the first time someone is hearing about this subject matter. It's like, OK, who are we having on the air? And are they the best person to tell this story? Like, are they the you know, first reporters who originally like touched on this or broke the story or whatever? Or was this just, you know, national media picking up what a local media place did? So, like, ethically, should we have the national reporter because we are a national radio program or is it like okay, did they get this information from the local news, the local reported, and so should we have a local reporter on? Like, aren't they the best? And so that's, I guess, how I think about it. It's, like, how we approach that and how we're so mindful of the voices we bring onto the air and also just making sure that, again, we're telling the heart of the story because we only have a couple minutes to, like, break down... I don't know, it could be anything. So, like, our most recent coverage, I think, was the ongoing, like, union strikes with Amazon and and Alabama. And so it's like, how do you get to the meat of this within, like, four minutes? Or even when I was producing a podcast myself, I produced the podcast on the New York Times, 1619 Project. And I was like, how do I even begin to tell, like, 400 plus years of slavery in America in 30 minutes? You know, like, what? What that even mean and ethically like what what can I even do like and how can I ethically tell this and not like whitewash it or anything like that and how can I make sure that the voices I bring on are also the best ones to tell this story and what they can add that's different. And then, so I guess you know with that said I don't know like when I think about it when it comes to like my photography it's like <sighs> I think there's a few different things. And you mentioned this, you know, the webinar we were talking about that was like surrounding like different ethics within journalism, photojournalism was with photo shelter. Mm-hmm. It was like a part two of a conversation that I, I hosted last year. I did this roundtable with black photojournalists at the peak of you know the protest last year for Black Lives Matter in the States and I you know was having them discuss their work, but also talking about the things that people don't see necessarily like the mental health, the trauma of doing this work. And then again, who has the right? Because at the time there was a lot of conversations about who has the right to tell these stories, who has the right to document these protests. And so I had them touch on that. And so this was like a part two with a few of the original panelists, Alexis and Dee. And I, you know, I had them talk about image making versus image taking. Again, you know, who has a right? Where do we go from here? Like, how do we go beyond like the conversations last year? Like, and have they even seen any change so far within the industry? And what do they hope to see? And how can this industry support you know Black photographers more? So those were the kind of conversations we had in that webinar. And so, again, just thinking about that and just thinking about even my own photography, it's like, okay, am I the best person? You know, I also also, have that myself because, you know, just because I'm black and just because I'm a woman, like, am I still the best person for X, Y, Z? And so I still say no to things. And I'm like, if I can say no, then I know my counterparts who are white can also say no, like, and can pass up an assignment and can, you know, recommend someone else who may be better to tell or to photograph or whatever. And for me, it's always like, again because I know how time feels just, I don't know, just time feels so much more limited now within this pandemic. Like, I mean, obviously we always experience loss and we always experienced death before this, but now I just feel like it's everywhere. Now I just feel like I can't, you know, stop thinking about that. And so for me, it's like, I'm also starting to think about my work and what it says about me, what it says about, you know, whatever, whoever I'm photographing, whatever community I'm in, and really just being mindful, okay, like, did I do right by XYZ? Did I do it right by this person, this story, or whatever? And again, I guess starting to think about like, you know, legacy or whatever. And I'm much I'm so young in my career, so it's like weird to even think about legacy, but it's also again, because I guess since I'm always seeing death around me, it's like, okay, like, you know, what would I be leaving behind? And would I be proud of that? And what work would I be leaving behind, you know? So would I be proud of that work? And and so I guess that's, you know, how I think about it a lot and what I think about with what work I say yes to and what work I don't say, you know, yes to because it plays a large part in, you know, the mark you'll be leaving. And then when i be proud of that, like, you know, five years from now, would I be, like, cringing at myself for, like, taking on that at work or whatever? And I'm really, again going back to just being my levels of productivity like knowing that I can only have the bandwidth to do so much now knowing how tired I get these days being mindful of that and being mindful of would I be doing this and I won't be able to do right by it because I'll be too tired and so would I just be giving it the bare minimum I never want to give anything I do the bare minimum so I guess I don't even know I hope that answers the question but that's just like Thinking out loud, that's how I approach it with my work. And I just think, you know, as humans, we should always have those standards and we should always think about what this may do for whoever or whatever community. you. I try to lead with empathy. I'm trying to, I guess I always try to find a human side of things. Like I try to humanize stories, like even with our coverage, we're doing of COVID nineteen. Anytime I pitch something, I try to pitch something that's relating to like the human side because I feel like when you say like five hundred thousand dead, people just hear a number and they keep moving on, like they don't stop to think that those are five hundred thousand people that are sisters, uncles, brothers, you know, parents. Like those are actual people and they have actual stories and they they liked movies or whatever. Like try to find that human connection. That's just like how I think about it because even one of my most recent pitches, we didn't do it on the air recently, but I just pitched this the other day, The Guardian was doing this year long project on healthcare workers who died of COVID in the States. And over 3000 healthcare workers died in the States. And it's like, these are the people on the front lines. Why are we not talking about it? Why are we not hearing their names every single day? And, And you know, that's just how I think about it, I guess.
0: Can you think of any examples of ethical dilemmas, sort of specific ethical dilemmas maybe that you've had to negotiate in your work as a photographer?
1: Personally, I don't think I've ever been put in a situation where I had a dilemma, again, like with my own ethics or ethics at at large or whatever that comes to mind right now. Because one, I mean, the work I do, I almost feel like, It'd be really hard to mess it up like it'd be really bad like how could I mess up photographing a concert like how can I mess up photographing portraits of street style or whatever fashion things that are happening because that's the work I was starting to do pre-pandemic and at least what I was really getting hired for at that time and so you know one of my last assignments was like New York fashion week for refinery 29 like Like, again, how do you mess that up? Like, for me, it's like the only way I think you can mess that up is if you, you know, photograph the same people, if you let your biases or whatever come to mind. If you think of like the standard beauty, you know, standard beauty, like it's European. It's, you know, it's a petite white woman, blonde hair, blue eyes. Like if I was only documenting that and that look, I think that would be what people want to see and what is considered beautiful in America then I would have failed that assignment. I made sure, you know, to photograph anyone and everyone, be inclusive, literally if, you know, whoever allowed me to photograph them, I took their photo basically. And I was really being mindful of being inclusive in that. And so the faces and the the body shapes and the style, like it was so wide, it was so wide ranging. It was so beautiful to see that because that was ethically important to me. And again, I, I think that's just how anyone you know, should have approached that and would approach that. And fortunately, you know, again, I don't think I've been put in a situation that left me feeling like I had to choose between what's right or what's wrong or, or have that internal dilemma. I've never been put in that situation and so far I've never put myself in that situation. I think maybe if I was documenting like the different protests that was happening this past year and and ongoing, maybe that's where those questions would arise for me because I remember how hard it was mentally when I, you know, was doing that as someone who found that it was important to document it, you know, as a student in college. And it was so hard, tough on me that I never did it again. Like I didn't document any other protests last year. Cause I just mentally couldn't pick up my camera to do it because I would look back at my past work and you know realize that man like what has really changed like if I just swapped out names like I feel like I'd be making those same images and that really just like haunted me and so I just I couldn't do it so maybe that's where I would have those dilemmas because I've heard like I've heard different photographers talk about it like you know when they get approached to do this assignment, are they you know being tokenized? You know when they get hired for an outlet that has never contacted them before, you know the protest. You know like, are they being tokenized? And if they are, like, I think those are the kind of things that I would feel would come up. And for mm-hmm. me, um, I have even heard like photographers like you know question like, should they even sell prints of their work that work from the protest? Like, ethically, like, what is that? say or what does that do or whatever and so I've heard those different conversations take place but I've never myself been in that setting like no that's great and could you tell me what does photography
0: ethics mean to you
1: well you know it's funny because I feel like this definition is constantly changing again I think there are fundamentals that every photographer probably knows and sticks to but then you go beyond that and then everyone should have their own personal, like, again, line where they do not cross. And so it's so hard because when you think about the state of photography and how it's still very white male-dominated, and anytime there's any ethical dilemma, I feel like it comes from those white males who still dominate this industry. So, you know, I say that because I think of the most recent news that I saw was related to Magnum and, and that photographer in question and <laughs> that right there, I feel like is a masterclass in ethics that schools could be teaching on, right? And we never, again, like, if you were in school for a photo, you, that probably never came up. Like, obviously not this recent example, but even questioning, like, those the questions that were arising with that person in that institution, you know, that probably never ever came up in a, in a class, like, what would mm-hmm. you do in this situation? And now I feel like programs... They should. They should look at what happened. They should look at how Magnum responded. And they should teach about that. And they should teach about this is why this is wrong. This is why there's (laughs) ethically wrong. And this is why you never want to be this person or respond like this. It should totally be in courses. It should totally be a masterclass. Like that should be a part of that person's legacy. And I'm afraid it may not be Mm -hmm. because, you know, the world of photography was set up and designed and helps protect People like him and in institutions like that. And so when I think about ethics, if it was designed by and created for and, and protects people like that, like my, my definition of ethics will be wrong or whatever, different, not wrong, but different compared to what photography may be. Because, again, it wasn't set up for someone like me to thrive in. And so... I don't know. I really hope that that is a master class, or course, or whatever in programs this fall, <laughs> because, you know, there is so much to unpack and learn from that. And again, you know, who are the people who, you know, when you think about who are the people who called it out, who are the people who applied that pressure? You know, it was a lot of different voices, but a lot of marginalized voices as well who had to bear the brunt of that, who had to, you know, make sure change actually happened because they didn't apply that pressure. You think that, all the, you know, him being, like, kicked off or whatever, do you think that would have happened? No, of course not. They would probably try to sweep it under the rug and hopefully no one picks it up because there's a million different news stories happening so it could have easily been lost in the news, easily. But those voices, women and other people, you know, really are the ones who made that change happen. Because like I said, there's no like public, you know, ethics editor for photography, right? Like it's really us. It's really, you know, people who are hurt by these actions that are the ones who are being that, that like public editor and calling them out and making sure change happens. So it's like, I don't know. For me, it's like, it's so hard to say because when you see those examples happen in 2020 and slash 2021, like, oh my God, like that's so much work to be done. Like, why was that still a thing in 2020? And now, you know, we're a few months into 2021. What can we learn from 2020 that makes sure that that doesn't happen in 2021? That ethically, you know, we are still hopefully, you know, following I guess the basic fundamentals but again people have their own standards but I can only hope that you know this year hopefully there's nothing that happens that we have those questions around ethics or maybe hopefully something does happen that we have them and finally actually have some concrete change on lasting change I don't know because I'm the type of person to be like cautiously optimistic (laughs) so that's just how I feel you know I try not to be a Debbie Downer. I try to find light or hope in situations and hope in this industry because clearly that's sometimes all you can hang on by sometimes because it's like, why are we still in this field again? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like for me, I guess I'm hopeful, but I'm also worried that something will happen that will repeat all those conversations all over again and Personally, I'm tired of talking about the same thing. I'm tired of hearing those same conversations take place. I just want there to be real change because I think, you know, it, it's obviously overdue. And so I don't know. And, and, and that's why, you know, again, that's why I try to be so intentional.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Photo Ethics Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. Join me next week when we hear from Malika Vora on complicating human narratives. If you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you check out our online courses? We've developed a series of three online courses designed specifically for photojournalists and documentary photographers. We discuss questions like, how do we achieve accuracy in our photographs? What's the relationship between power and consent? And when, if ever, should we intervene? These online courses come with perks like access to an online community group for discussion and Q&A opportunities with me, the course leader. Enroll today at www.photoethics.thinkific.com or go to www.photoethics.org and click online courses. This podcast was edited by Ellie Gascoigne.